Welcome back to another episode of the Project Warman podcast with me, Connor Warman. My guest today is Sarah Britton. Sarah is a friend of mine from CrossFit Roots and someone who I really enjoyed talking to today on this show. Today we talk about Sarah's journey from engineering to speech pathology to finance, back to speech pathology, and then into real estate. We talk about a year-long break that she took in her 20s and how that year helped shape the rest of her life to the state in terms of living out her values and the life that she wants to live every day. We break down the human mind and how complex and capable it is, and we talk about taking risk in order to live the life that you want to live and be the person that you want to be. I really enjoyed this conversation with Sarah, and I hope that you all do as well. And now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. What's up, Sarah? Not too much, Connor. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Great. Good. I saw you at the gym earlier today. Yes. Back squatting. Indeed. How'd it go? It was fine. Wasn't really knowing what to expect, so. You like to back squat, yeah? I do. What's your favorite thing to do? It used to be overhead squat when my shoulder was working. Not anymore? No. I guess if you have a shoulder injury, that wouldn't be my most favorite thing to do either. No, not at all. <laughs> What'd you squat today? Uh, just 195. That's good. Yeah, decent. Yeah. What's not your best squat ever? Oh, gosh. For a one rep? For yeah. back? Maybe 255? Okay. Yeah. Nice. How long have you been at Roots for? Since I moved here in 2015. Okay. Where'd you come from? Boston. Well, Boston. I came from California, but okay. I started CrossFit in Boston. Where and what gym in Boston? CrossFit Fenway. It was actually oh, the that's only a cool name. gym in Boston at the time. Really? Mm-hmm. This was back in the day. Yeah. Back in the early days. Yeah, I'm a hipster CrossFitter. <laughs> was this like in the city? Yes, it was. Right close to Fenway Park? Yes. Yep. Could you, would you run by it? Uh, no, I wouldn't. It was actually a couple blocks from my house and out of the way. So it was on a path that I never really walked, but a friend turned me on to CrossFit and I Googled and it was literally right there. So That would be cool if your 400 meter run was like, go run around Fenway Park. I guess that might be a little longer than 400. Oh yeah. Or if you like one of the streets went right by it. Oh yeah. If we ran around Fenway, got it. Yeah. yeah. If that was on our running route. No, it wasn't either. Good and bad. <laughs> I don't know if like running through a city would always be the best thing as a it, CrossFit gym. It's not the most fun. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People. Mm-hmm. Smells. Refraft, exactly. Things going on. Yeah, dumpsters. Yeah. Yeah, cities generally don't smell very good. No. New York City might be the worst smelling place I've ever been to. Really? Yeah, it's terrible. That's unfortunate. You must have gone in the summer. No, it was in the fall. Really? I was in there in the summer once, but I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. It's just dirty. They've done a better job. I'm, uh, Too I many people. There are lots of people in New York City, that's for sure, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where did you grow up, and what did you do as a kid? So I grew up in New York, um, and I spent a few years living in England as well. So you're biased towards the city. Well, I grew up outside of the city. (laughs) Slightly biased. Um, That was like my stomping ground when I was, you know, in my teens. We'd take a train into the city and go hang out, and it was lovely. Uh, What did I do as a kid? I was super active. Um, My mom would always put me in spandex shorts under my uniform because I would always be upside down. You use school uniform? School uniform. You had to wear school uniforms? When I lived in England, I did. Yeah. Wait, so you grew you were born in New York. Yep. You went to England. Why did you go to England? My dad's job. Oh, that's kind of a cool thing, though. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was super cool. And, like, got to travel around Europe and, like, was super fortunate. Um, and then moved back to New York and graduated high school there. Um, 
so yeah I was a super active kid always participated in sports like was the only girl on the all boys soccer team in you know second grade (laughs) nice (laughs) What, what was your timeline of being in England um I think it was like kindergarten through second or third grade so oh, so little. not that long. Yeah. No, no, no. Not enough. If you like left in, let's say, fifth grade and came back for high school, I think that would be brutal. Oh, yeah. No, I was at the age where making friends was easy and mm-hmm. going to explore new places was fun. And it was like this whole new world and environment. And it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Was it similar, different? I've never been there. Like, is it fairly similar to how we live here? Um, yeah, it was. Other than the takeout food at the time was terrible, but my mom always cooked anyway, so. What language do they speak there? <laughs> Good one, Connor. Ah! <laughs> but <But-um-bum-tch. laughs> So English? Yes. Great. Did you go to all, like, the cool England places? I did, yeah. We used to go visit castles all the time oh. and see the royal family. And the, the guys with the funny hats? Oh, yeah, the beef eaters. No, the guys who guard the palace. Yeah. That's what they're called? So some of them are called beef eaters. Those are the ones with the fuzzy hats, I believe. Somebody can fact check me later. Um, And then there are also the Queen's guards. (laughs) Same thing? Uh, I think there's a slight distinction because there's a distinction in their uniform, I believe. Mm. So what it's called England now? Yeah, When you say Great Great Britain, Britain, what do you mean? Like, is it all the same thing? Yeah, yeah. So you call it Britain ever? Um... No, I think most people call it England. Doesn't I don't know. Doesn't Great Britain include like Wales and stuff like that? I have no idea. Geography is not my strong suit. I just figured because you live there, you <laughs> no. know. I was a child, Connor. <laughs> Still, you learn a lot in kindergarten, first grade, and second grade. Yeah, I learned. That's where I did ninety-five percent of my learning. Wow. Yeah. So you're really good at color, shapes, and counting. Really good. <laughs> and like uh, when you do draw, when you do writing, and they had like the dotted line in the middle of the lines, yeah. and you had to be good at it. And yeah. So you're a good line follower. Yep fascinating good drawer yeah cool good at cursive i was probably one of the last generations of kids to learn cursive that's crazy people don't teach it anymore wow it's our world coming to i don't know (laughs) that's another conversation for another day okay so you're super active as a kid yes you were the only girl on the boys soccer team Mm -hmm. were you like still pretty good on the boys soccer team as a girl i was decent i mean this was like second grade so we're all like you know running and hurting the ball um, when I got back to the States, there was a women's, like a girls' soccer team that I became a part of. Played basketball, swam. Yeah, yeah. just always doing stuff. What did you stick with as you got older into high school? Um, so in high school, I played basketball, soccer, and swam. And then in college, I rode crew for a couple years. Okay. Um, and then after college, got into triathlons. Nice. Where'd you go to college? Wash U in St. Louis. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I had some friends from high school go there. Nice. Yeah. It's yeah. supposed to be a good school. It's a great school, just St. Louis is, not you great. know. Not great. Yeah, mediocre at best. Did you go to the Arch? I, yeah, occasionally, but it's downtown St. Louis, which, like, there's absolutely nothing, so. Actually? Yeah, downtown St. Louis isn't great, and at least when we were there, or when I was there, um, not the safest place to be either, so. Mm. Yeah, quick in and out yeah. to see the arch that you did it, kind of check well, it out for yeah. list. You're talking to someone who grew up near Chicago, so when you talk about not safe, oh yeah, it doesn't get really worse than Chicago. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> definitely not. St. Louis is also it's kind of like middle of nowhere. Yes, it is. Like Missouri, once you get to southern southern Illinois into Missouri, mm-hmm. there's like nothing there. Totally. Yeah, I mean Chicago is five hours ish from St. Louis, and we would go up to Chicago for a getaway. Did you like it? Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. What would you do there? 
Uh, so my older brother went to the University of Chicago, and so okay. like you know, just check out restaurants and the jazz clubs. And did you go to any baseball out. games? I did. Wrigley yeah. Field. Oh yeah, it's the best place and one of the best places in the whole world besides Disney World. Okay, somebody has very strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go there? Did you as a lot as a kid? Wrigley Field. Yeah. Yeah, a okay. lot. My parents, um, <clears throat> we split season tickets with like two or three other people. Oh, nice. So my dad and I would go to like twenty games a year, probably yeah. at Wrigley Field. Did you play baseball? Were you inspired? Yeah, okay. I was inspired. Cool. Sammy Sosa was my guy. Yeah. Do you remember him? I do. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So. How long did you play baseball for? <sighs> Through high school. Okay. Yeah. Fun. And then that was it. Cool. But. It's best sport in the whole world. There's another opinion for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, Chicago's a cool city. It is. It's big, but it's not like New York big. That's true. Which is kind of nice. Yeah. But it's cool. Yeah. I like most of the cities that I've been to and mm-hmm. lived in. So you went to school at Wash U. Yep. Which is like Ivy League outside of Ivy League. Exactly. Right. Yep. So you were smart. Yeah. Or you were sure. good at Either there's two ways to put it. Either you were smart or yeah. you were really good at memorizing things and taking tests. I was <laughs> not good at memorizing things, but good at taking tests. Because so. I had friends <laughs> all the time <laughs> who were like not the smartest people, but they were really good at cramming and really good at taking tests. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's just, yeah. they there's weren't also, really that smart, though. There's book smart and street smart, too, you yeah, know, and those, are, those, those can be very, different. very discrepant things. Were you both? Uh, I grew up in New York, mm-hmm. so yes, I think I had a little bit of city smarts, and then, um, yeah, I was, you know, good at school, mm-hmm. at oh. physics and math, really. And then what did you go to school for? Biomedical engineering. That's a lot. Yeah, a uh, lot. There's three words in there that I'm not really sure what each one means. So what <laughs> is that? So a lot of people, so in school, we basically studied um, all of the engineering disciplines up to junior level. And did all of the pre-med courses as well. So it's the merging of basically biology and sciences with the engineering world. Okay. So a lot of people after graduating will go on to work at places like St. Jude or Medtronic. So working with like medical devices. Okay. Um, and either doing technical support for them um, or, you know, helping to develop new prosthetics or tissues or... Um, so it's it's really the melding of, like, the medical world and the engineering world. So you're on the forefront of some pretty cool stuff. <sighs> you can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was not. Um, I participated in a research study for a semester that mapped the frontal eye field in monkeys. It was a grant from the Department of Defense. Um, so the hope was to be able to have unmanned flight Um Flown by monkeys? <laughs> Not by monkeys. Oh. But I was basically. Say, I've seen Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Exactly. No, it sounds. Yeah. No, so that, uh, you know, ideally you're going to be able to track somebody's visual movements mm. um, to then like process and code that information to complete a task. And so we were doing the opposite. We were asking the monkeys to do a visual task. Um, and then we had electrodes in their brain that would record the electrical activity so we could figure out like what parts of the brain were responsible for. Like eye movement and eye control. Wow. Yeah. But those poor little monkeys were so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Animal studies aren't the best. No, no. So I fed them jelly beans, which made me feel slightly better. But yeah. Did you get close to any of them? Yeah, but they were like, 
not the happiest, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. as one you mm-hmm. could imagine. And so it was a little scary sometimes because they would like grab at your lab coats and like, you know. And when they're aggressive, they can be pretty oh, dangerous, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are these like chimpanzees? I forget what kind of monkeys they were, but yeah. They look sweet though. They do. I mean, I think having a monkey as a pet would be awesome. Yeah. Until it wasn't. Yeah. Right? Because you see the videos. <laughs> right. like People like holding hands with the monkey or the monkey runs up to him and gives him a hug. But then you yeah. also hear the horror stories of... Yeah, monkey monkeys, mauls your face right? or throws poop at you. Right, yeah. it's like, totally. oh my gosh, like, it just switches so fast. Right. Um, but that's cool. We could we could probably fly planes without people right now, right? I think so, yeah. And then the other lab that was right next door was working on um, prosthetic like control, basically, by thinking about it. So if you had an, an arm amputation or something and had a prosthetic device, being able to still control that prosthetic hand just by you know, how you and I control our hands. So by thinking about it and having wow. some sort of, yeah. And that actually has gotten to market. Um, I was at a conference and heard about it and they were working on like grip strength and like mm-hmm. fine tuning it. Um, but they had gotten to a point where that was an option. Wow. Right. So literally like a new hand that I just do uh, what I'm doing and it uh, does it. Yeah. Bionic hand Pink. basically. Yeah. But the fine tuning is off. So like grip strength, uh-huh. right? Like, you know, for grabbing a glass versus a How rock. How hard to grab it. Yeah. Right? Gotcha. Right? So, like, just I think they're working out some of the nuances. How would that. you do that? Like, how would you teach it how to do that? Or I think it's just a, you know, programming problem. Knowing by touch or knowing by your thoughts thinking about yeah, it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the solution would be. Hmm. Or you yeah. just have a setting that you just ramp it up or something heavy. <laughs> exactly. It, like, you don't want to break the glass. <laughs> right. You don't exactly. want the rock to fall out of your hand. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I it always is. wonder about stuff like that because that's like pretty cool stuff. Totally. But like what's what does it look like to develop that? Like what's the work behind it? Is it just somebody working hours and days on end? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like you feel like you can't develop something like that without pouring yeah. your entire life into it. Totally. And I think that, you know, multiple labs probably participate in the development. And then, you know, you go from animal clinical trials to figuring out how the brain is working to then developing the prosthetics and then the computer system behind the prosthetics and then the implants that goes into your brain. I mean, I think that there's so many people involved in something Mm -hmm. like that and so much time. Um, And then also money, right, for like the medical trials and humans and stuff. Yeah. Is that all like privately funded stuff or how does that work? You know, uh, that's a good question. I mean, we had a a grant from the Department of Defense, so that's, you know, Mm -hmm. government entity. Yeah. Um, But I'm sure that there are lots of venture capital funds that – um, fund some of this like medical based research mm-hmm. um, so I think it just depends on the project yeah you just wonder like because I feel like projects are super easy to get into and then lose track of time like if you have something that you really want to do or really like yeah. you can just get into it like the next thing you know it's three o'clock in the morning and you don't <laughs> even know like if you have something you really are passionate about totally like I feel like with that kind of stuff if you're really into it that just becomes your entire life oh like, yeah like if I knew anything about that and I was doing that I feel like it just you're just in a lab and you're just doing that. Yeah, totally. I think people are super committed and I think it's really, you know, groundbreaking stuff. And I think that people who are super in it are tend to like be really motivated um, by good things and you know, yeah. trying to help people and change the world. Right. And so I imagine that that gives them a lot of oomph too. Especially when you're like, this might change the world. Yeah. I think I'm going to spend some time on it. Right. But then you always see people come out the other side and they're like, was it worth it? And like, yeah, it feels good when it's over. Like it's a super awesome accomplishment. But your whole life gets put on hold <laughs> and it's like, yeah. well, something's got to give. Right. I mean, and I don't know that they see it that way, right? I mean, if you mm-hmm. talk to Steve Jobs, do you think that he would be disappointed that he 
spent his whole life creating Apple. No. Right. But I think he had a soft side to him that people didn't know about hmm. with yeah. his family. Yeah. That's me b- making this basis off the movie that they made about him. <laughs> super accurate. <laughs> Where he was like, got the super soft spot for his daughter, but that was it. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think so. I think Elon Musk's the same way. Right. Like you need people like that. Totally. Not so everybody needs to be like that, though. That'd be terrible. Oh, gosh. That would be awful. <laughs> that would be a terrible place. Yeah. No. <laughs> but you need people hard chargers like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Some people are just wired different. Yeah, for sure. You know, wired I mean, for work. I think a lot of us are wired very differently. All, yeah. Every single one of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how long were you in that field for? Um, so just a couple years. So after graduating, I chose a job at a company that I didn't really know myself and know my values and what I wanted out of a job in a workplace. Um, and I think I totally turned myself off from engineering because of the job and the environment that I was in. So that shifted or prompted a shift. So I was also pre-med in um, college and decided that I didn't want to go to medical school. So because you did both? Yes. Wow. But I didn't want to go to medical school because I didn't want to go to school for seven more years. And But I always wanted to help people. Hmm. And I always wanted to kind of make a difference. Um, and so when I was, you know, kind of thinking about what I wanted to do next from engineering instead of looking within the field and figuring out, you know, who I was a bit more, I decided to get a degree in speech and language pathology. So a way to help people, it was a two-year degree, um, seemed like pretty accessible. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Was that at WashU or did you go somewhere else? I went somewhere else. So my engineering job was in California. Um, So you were done with St. Louis. Done with St. Louis. Sick of that place. Yeah. Moved to Southern California um, for like two and a half-ish years. Um, Quit my engineering job, traveled a little bit. Moved to Boston for graduate school. Okay. Um, At Harvard? No, MGH Institute of Health Professions. Similar. So it's, it's, a, it's affiliated, but yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I like Harvard. So. It's their helping school. Harvard yeah. school. Um, so did my speech and language pathology degree there. And towards the end of that, I took a job in finance at Harvard Management Company. Okay. Can we stop so, for a second? Yeah. Speech and language pathology, when you say that, what exactly does that mean? What do you do? Yeah, so it means lots of things. It depends what kind of field you decide or want to work in. So there are pediatric speech and language pathologists, so people that work with kids who have language delays, speech delays, um, you know, might have more significant impairments because of um, things like autism. Mm -hmm. you can work with kids with, you know, cleft lip and palate doing like specific speech stuff. And it runs a whole gamut. You can also work with adults who have dementia and cognitive changes. Mm. Um, you can work with people with brain injury, which is what I was passionate about. Um, working on things like executive functioning and other cognitive domains. Um, and in that realm too, with people who have brain injuries, um, some of them have what's called aphasia. And so that's the inability to either comprehend or produce spoken language hmm. um, and potentially written language as well. So, yeah, it encompasses a lot. So anywhere from like a speech teacher in an elementary school yep, up to working with people who are in their 80s with dementia. Yeah, and you could be working at either a school or in a hospital in an acute setting um, or outpatient clinics or private practices or so many options. 
And you specifically wanted to work with people with brain injuries? Yeah, I thought I wanted to work with kids initially, but um, realized that being a clown all day, because you have to be really engaging, right? And so you have to be like super bubbly and um, really on all the time. And I found that to be just exhausting Hmm. um, and was really drawn to the brain injury side of things uh, when I was in school and then doing some of my clinical placements too. And what does that kind of work look like? So I worked with moderate and severe injured people um, as well as like mild injuries, so concussion, Um, but it depends what the patient is experiencing. So I worked with a young gentleman who was actually from Colorado. We were in Boston at the time, Um, suffered a severe brain injury. He was 26. He could only say two words and didn't have comprehension of kind of the world around him. and had some comprehension for language. I worked with with another lady who was in her 50s and had a stroke and could only say bananas, but she... How does that work? You can only say two words or bananas. Like, Yeah. It's just hard to even comprehend. I know, it's crazy. This woman could tell you stories with only the word banana. Context is amazing. Um, So working with people like that, and then also, too, a lot of, like, you know, I keep using the word executive functioning, but that's basically your ability to plan and execute a task. So after a brain injury, everything is super effortful. Um, and things that were once automatic now take a lot more effort. So for example, um, if I told you to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you would have no problem doing that, right? Arguably, I don't know. You stopped learning <laughs> at first grade, so <laughs> it might be beyond the colors and words. <laughs> But <laughs> assuming that you continue yeah. to develop a little bit, um, that would be a fairly easy task, right? So in your head, you're already thinking, okay, I'm going to get out the bread, I'm going to get out the peanut butter, the jelly, and then I'm going to do this first, whatever, right? When you have a brain injury, that's so hard to organize. Um, and so you have to kind of relearn all of that stuff. That's a very basic example. Um, but think about, you know, if you're running errands, what am I going to do first? Where am I going to go? Um, kind of like a plan of action. Exactly. Like I'm going to the grocery store. I need this, this, and this. How am I going to do it to get out of there the fastest exactly. or whatever? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then also, too, decisions become very hard after brain injury. So Big decisions, little decisions, little decisions all of it. Yeah, okay. all of it, really. Um, because, so, again, if you and I were to go to the grocery store, um, and I love talking about the ice cream aisle, um, <laughs> we would automatically go and say, okay, I know I kind of, like, want chocolate and I want Jenny's, right? You kind of hone in on – and you know, weed out majority of this stuff. Um, Somebody who has a brain injury has lost the innate ability to do that sometimes. And so every single choice they have to actually think through. And so it becomes exhausting. Um, And so, you know, they're looking at every single one and having to make a choice. And that's overwhelming and can be paralyzing and just really challenging. So So just little things that we just take for granted and Totally. Do naturally become super hard. Exactly. Which is always crazy when stuff like that happens. It's like similar to like, I don't know, in the gym. Like you mentioned overhead squats. Like you loved overhead squat. Yeah. And you're probably like, I just love these. They always feel good. It's easy. Like yeah. the movement feels good. And then once something happens, yeah. you're like, oh, wow. Like yeah. this is just, it's all off. Or right. like, I'll be like, I always feel good. And people will be like, well, this hurts. This hurts. And I'm like, yeah. okay, like whatever. And then it happens to me or something. And you're like, oh, wow. Like that's. Yeah. That's what that feels like. That's, That's what they were talking yeah. about. Yeah. I hope that you never have a brain injury um, because they I can might be. already. Okay. No, well. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, kidding. concussions. I don't know, maybe. Concussions are brain injuries, That's right? So. And the whole football thing. Yeah. Totally. It's crazy. Scary. Super scary. Yeah. 
Because it's it's stuff that can happen that you don't even realize for a long time, right? Like totally. you're, you're seeing all these NFL players who yes. are old now, played in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, right? so it's CTE, which is what they're kind of finding in um, football players. And we know now from the literature that kids under 12 especially are susceptible, um, and it's even sub-concussive blows. So, like hits to the head that don't necessarily, not even hits to the head, right? You fall and you have a whiplash kind of event. Um, but even like those, that cumulative um, sub-concussive blow can cause, um, you know, not great things later mm-hmm. in life. Because when you look at the NFL, like you're trying to protect, like back in the day, you could just, whatever you wanted to do, yeah. helmet to helmet. But it's not even that, right? It's if I just go really low on you and hit you hard, but your head whips back in a certain way. Exactly. It's the same effect. Yeah. So if you think about a um, tomato in a mason jar, right? Like you don't have to hit the mason jar to screw up the tomato. You can Mm. shake the mason jar, Mm -hmm. right? So same thing with like a whiplash mechanism. It's it's crazy though, like how much you can, how much your head can endure, like getting hit like that all the time. Yeah. The fact that there's like something in there that's literally controlling your whole body. Yeah. That gets like smashed into the ground. Yeah. Or smashed one way or the other. Yeah. And it, like how much it takes to actually damage it or not. So, there might not yeah. Be. And so I think everybody's really different, but we now know from trends that like those kind of hits in kids, especially under 12, have really negative outcomes or, you know, negative consequences later on. So that could be anything, like not even just football, like at a young age. Like most things that can shape how you develop and grow, right? That's what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, there are other sports too that um, can cause similar kinds of injuries. And I'm all for sports. I think sports are great. I think organized sports teach so much and have so much value. Mm -hmm. But I think there are ways to make them safer for our kids. Is like the danger of football and stuff, is the awareness getting any better? Yes and no. I think that the NFL has... um, you know, a lot of money in it to kind of not share that message. Um, and also, too, I think, you know, when people are adults, they can make their own choices. Mm. I think it's harder when adults are making choices for children and the children don't know, um, and adults may not be, like, the most informed. Um, I think it's starting to, to get better. But mm-hmm. There's also this weird thing with us as people where it's like, I feel good now. Uh, making a lot of money doing this. Exactly. It may or may not happen later. Yeah. If I do whatever, it's right. they're talking about twenty or thirty years. Like, yeah. There's something about where we're like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, and I'll so I think you know that's where like I respect people as adults and they can make their own choices and you know if they are okay with that risk then mm-hmm. yeah by all means right so. Like, yeah, I mean it's no different than anything else. It's like I'm doing this thing that's damaging to my body, like whether it's like not working out or not eating great, like. It's like, yeah, I feel, I feel good now, like, especially when you're younger. Yeah, totally. But then you get to a certain age and you're like, yeah. why did I do that? Yeah. People were telling me I was going to pay for this. Right. Yeah. And it's, now I am. It's funny. So I paraglide. It's one of my mm-hmm. favorite hobbies. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, and so anytime there's an incident, um, I even go through that, right? I, I joke that my like 21 year old boy brain turns on. And it's like, oh, that would never happen to me. I would never do that. Right. And it's like what are you thinking? You know, there, there are risks to this sport and like, there are very, you know, there are things that can just happen. Um, but it's funny how we rationalize our choices. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to come back to the paragliding in a second. (laughs) Um, so with the brain, isn't it like we study it a lot, we still don't know a ton about it. Totally. It's crazy. It's It's like outer space. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. 
I really like outer space, so I'll yeah. reference it a few times, okay. just so you know. Yeah, is that like, are you still working on the planet since we're in first grade, or like, no, what's your curiosity we're, level No, we're at this like point? about the universe, and okay. like, what's at the end of the universe, is there life out there? Got it. I've always had this theory that there's a door at the end of the universe, Okay. but you gotta find it, and you gotta know where it is. Wow, how do you know where it is? Uh, yeah, I don't, it's probably, it's like, um, probably a treasure map, like in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, where does one procure this treasure map? I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. Okay. <laughs> We're not very far along in this journey, but that's my theory. Okay. Do you think that aliens, like, have the answers? Do you think that somebody's out there that has I the answers? I think it would send you on, like, a Guardians of the Galaxy type journey through the universe. Okay. Um, which is funny, like, this theory could sound crazy to people, and it is, but it's really no crazier than anybody else's theory about the universe. Okay. Mic drop. See ya. <laughs> Call me crazy. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but we, like when you talk about the mind and you talk about like certain people think in different ways. I don't. I just use oh, Elon yeah. Musk as an example. Like certain yeah. people have this higher level of thinking that a lot of people don't have. Like, do you think all of that is just you're born with, or do you think it, some of it's developed based on environment and what you learn mm. and who you interact with? Or yeah, that's a both? good question. I also, too, would challenge you, is it just higher level of thinking or is it also like willingness to take more risk and fail? I think both. Yeah. For sure. I I do, too. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily innate um, just brilliance or Mm -hmm. smarts. Um, I think people are like much more willing to take, certain people are more willing to take risks than others and more willing to fail and try something that's totally out there. And so I think some of it is you know, just your basic genetics, but I also think it's some of it's exposure mm-hmm. and your experiences. Yeah. I would actually say that your risk point, that's more so that than just higher level thinkers. Totally. I think there's a lot of creative geniuses out there Yeah, that just won't take a risk. Totally. Or are afraid of what's yeah. the backlash or what's going to come yeah. next. I, I think, think that's way more common. I think a lot of people don't take risks and, uh, it's interesting because I, you know, one of my biggest fears in life was, not dying I mean I by no means want to die but dying doesn't scare me it's like not actually living that scares me right like at the end of the day if I got hit by a bus tomorrow would I be proud of the life that I've lived and what would the, what would the answer be heck yeah 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 I mean I've been thinking about this since I was like 25 yeah um it caused me to quit my finance job and because I was miserable yeah so that's what you got into right after you did your graduate school in Boston yeah. Why so, why finance? That's just out of left field. Yeah, it was. Um, well, a lot of my family works in the financial world, um, and it was during a semester that was my last semester of grad school, and I had like one night class, and I was like, this is silly. I should be doing something to be a productive human, um, and so applied for just a summer internship um, and then got offered a job at Harvard um, Management Company, so they manage Harvard's endowment. Um and yeah and then I that was like what really solidified that I was not made to sit at a desk from nine to five following somebody else's agenda Hmm. Um, I'd spend most of my day writing business plans and that's what triggered the switch that's what triggered me to quit um, okay. I didn't have a plan. I call this my quarter life That's crisis. That's when the best plans usually come out. Exactly. When you don't have a plan. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to take a year off of life and go travel and do fun things and just live and figure it out. Um, and then an opportunity was presented to move to Colorado and buy a very small speech and language pathology practice here in Boulder. That was, you know, two clinicians. Um, 
and that's what kind of got me started not only with Colorado but um, like having mm-hmm. my own speech and language pathology practice so let's talk about your year off okay what did you do um, what kind of things did you realize during yeah. that time Ooh. and then did you realize the massive like what what did the massive risk you were about to take mean to you yeah what do you think about it at so, the time? So, yeah, I have always been, like, if you were to talk to people that knew me in high school, um, I have always been somebody that follows my own playbook and rules. Um, risks have never been something that have stopped me from doing something. Um, I feel fear. I feel scared. Um, but I have this capacity to just kind of push through it. Um so what did I do during my year off? Um, I went to Nepal. I went to Everest Base Camp. Um, I took my grandmother to Spain for her 90-somethingth birthday with my mom and my aunt. Um, and then I also spent a lot of time going to the beach in Southern California and going to CrossFit and yoga. Mm. Um, I started a little food business, which was... Making food. Yeah, so I made these things called truffles. They were date-based truffles. They were delicious. Um, But, you know, ended up not being uh, clearly my lifelong passion, but it was a good, you know, fun little venture. Um, And then, yeah, just traveled a bunch. And what I learned about myself. I think that that was a time where... I had a sense of who I was. I think I was learning my values about um, what a good work environment meant for me and what kinds of things I wanted to be doing to feel fulfilled. Um, I think I had recognized, like I said, that um, you know, being kind of a worker bee was not something that I valued. Um, and yeah. Those were the big ones. Yeah. What'd you do in Nepal and Everest? Um, so I just trekked to Everest Base Camp. So just okay. hiked up and checked it out and hung out in the cities and traveled around a bunch. And yeah. Did you climb Everest? I did not climb Everest. Did you want to? I have no desire to climb Everest. No, ever. I don't think it's like a really cool thing anymore because so many people do it and it's so crazy up there. Yeah. And I think too that, um, so I've climbed the highest peak in Antarctica. Okay. Um, and so was among a lot of people that were going after the seven summits. And I realized that, yes, they're very challenging. Um, I don't want to take anything away from that accomplishment. It is a lot of mental toughness and a mm-hmm. lot of discomfort to get through. That was recent, wasn't it? Or is this a different it was. One? Yeah, yeah okay. that was that was recent. Um, but for me, I think there's so much reliance on other people. Um, you know, Sherpa teams, things like that when it comes to Everest, um, that, yeah, it doesn't, and it feels Mm -hmm. like, you know, a lot of people are doing it. So, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like it's a goal that I want to pursue for myself. Like to the point where it it gets so busy up there, like people die because of how busy it is not being able to move and not being able to do certain things. Yeah. So there's that like famous photo, right. Of everybody on like frozen Hillary step. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that is, you know, the guiding company that you're with, I think that, um, the good ones are really thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went with Garrett Madison down to Antarctica because you need to have a guide for that mm-hmm. mountain. Um, and he cares. Like, he wants everybody to be alive. Um, and mm-hmm. so we'll try to make choices to ensure that, you know, he mitigates all of the risks. And I think that's one of the things is being in contact with the other teams and seeing who's pushing for the summit when and all that mm-hmm. jazz. 
So. Was there anything unusual going on in Antarctica? Because I heard an interesting theory this weekend. Oh, tell me more Somebody about the theory. Somebody was trying to say that there's aliens under Antarctica. Whoa. In the ice. So there is this spot down there. There's like a perfect pyramid mountain. I'll show you a photo. Okay. For all you listening, it's on my Instagram. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there are aliens down there. Maybe they have the treasure map to the door. Now we're talking. Yeah. Or at least step one. I'm sure it's a long journey. Right. Probably. I mean, even just to get to Antarctica is a long journey. So. Yeah. Well. I don't know. But yeah, yeah someone said that and I don't know. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Because I was like, I've seen Transformers. I know what happens. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do that. We can't let them out. We got to <laughs> keep them in there. We know how this ends. <laughs> okay. So uh, you take your you take your year break. Yep. And how'd you come out of that? Like feeling uh, different? Yeah, just ready for kind of the next challenge and adventure and the opportunity, like I said, presented itself to move to Boulder and buy a business and do that. So I did it. I like left my life behind in California, moved out here knowing one person and um, bought this business and grew it. And yeah. So it was kind of like a perfect storm. Yeah. It was. Getting out of where you were. Yeah. Wanting to do something you wanted to do. Yeah. And move out. Yeah. Leave. Totally. Yeah. And how did that go? Um, You know, well enough. So grew the business and um, transformed it into Colorado Concussion Clinic, which is mm. kind of what it is today. Um, and definitely lots of road bumps. Definitely lots of learning. Um, went into it with my true Sarah perspective of like we live in a world where everybody is good and wants to do the right thing um, and learn that that's really not always the case. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it was great. How long did you have that for? So eight years. I still own it. Um, okay. I've kind of worked myself out of the day to day. So um, success to me has always been, you know, yes, being financially stable, but also having time to be able to choose what I do and want to do with my time. Mm -hmm. um, and also creating like a really positive and good work environment for people. Mm -hmm. That's also one of the measures of success that I had for mm -hmm. myself. Um, and so I'm in a really fortunate place where I have an amazing team of people. They all are, you know, super happy at work, or at least that's what they tell me, because what else are they going to tell me? Mm -hmm. um, and so I have the capacity to you know, do mm -hmm. other things. And setting yourself up financially, like you've said in that way, to do the things you want to do, what are some of the things you've done or what are the things you like to do with that time? Hmm. It's one thing to have the time. It's another thing to know what to do with the time. Totally. Um, I like adventures and challenges and I like, okay. you know, learning new things and challenging myself both intellectually and physically. Um, so when COVID hit, one of the things I learned to paraglide, which was something I always wanted to do, but felt like I didn't have the time. Um, you know, I've taken trips, I've gone to places that I've wanted to go see, um, spent time with friends, you know, hang out with my dogs. <laughs> what are those places? All the good things. <laughs> um, you know, I've kind of been all over, but most recently I went to the Maldives. So last year I had a busy travel year, went to the Maldives and Antarctica and, um, Hawaii and hmm. let's talk about Antarctica okay how long was that journey oh gosh what, in terms of you like climb? 
So I Kilimanjaro? Vincent. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Kil- I'm making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Connor, geography. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> what was it? What's it called? Sorry. Vincent, Mount Vincent. Vincent, the biggest yeah. mountain in Antarctica. The tallest mountain in tallest. Antarctica. Are there any animals yeah. there besides like polar bears and those guys? So in the interior of the continent yeah. where I were, there are absolutely no animals. No life at all. No life at all. There's some lichen species, but. What's that? Um, it's like a moss on okay. rocks kind of thing. Do people live there at all? No. Uh, well, untrue. Yes and no. Um, there are lots of like research stations down there okay. that are manned throughout the winter. Um but I, yeah, people are all there that are like, you know, scientists mm-hmm. and researchers and stuff. Gotcha. No, just like random yeah. tribes of people anywhere? No. Too cold, right? Yeah. 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 Unless you really like the cold. Yeah, I get that. Not good. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the, you know, their summer, it can be like negative 40 uh-huh. plus Jesus. wind chill. Yeah. So how tall, how tall is this mountain? So it's 16 and change, um, okay. but because of where it is, it feels higher. Because um, the barometric pressure at the poles is different from like the equator gotcha. area, so the closer you are to the poles, the higher it feels. Um, so yeah, not super tall, right? Nothing too crazy, mm-hmm. but definitely enough that you know people did get altitude stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How long does the journey take? So to get to Antarctica, you fly to Chile, um, and then from there it's another flight. Um, then climbing it you fly into base camp um and then it can even be like three or four days to ascend it's a pretty quick peak to climb oh wow how high do you start at you start low like two thousand feet i think okay maybe a thousand yeah and then you just is there like a trail um so there is yeah kind kind of yeah um and so crevasse risk is something that happens there and so you're on a rope team with people um, and then there are fixed lines on kind of the steeper sections um, that you can follow. Yeah. Hmm. And what was the hardest part? Is there like are there moments that stuck out to you as being the hardest moments? Or? I think so. I don't like being cold, and that was a challenge. Um, and I think you know if you think about like the day to day activities that you have to do, like going to the bathroom and stuff. I mean, your skin is exposed at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those things, you know, can feel really daunting and not fun. Um, but, yeah, I'd say the cold was the crux. No moments of, like, I want to turn back. No. Once I make my mind up, I, like, am pretty set on doing it. Especially mm. if other people are doing it. I'm like, oh, I can do it, too. And have you always been like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everything? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And why this mountain specifically? I wanted to go see Antarctica and I didn't, I've been there before and kind of did the like, you know, touristy stuff um, and didn't want to just sit on a cruise ship. And so wanted to explore it in a different way. And I figured climbing was a a fun way to go do it. So you just picked them out and then went. Yeah. Have you done other stuff like that? Um, So I've rock climbed and ice climbed in the past, but nothing like multiple day sled dragging journeys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything like that? Not in the cold, like to that magnitude of like climbing mountains or... Any big physical challenges like that? Um, I think I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, you know, backpacking trips and hiking trips, but nothing that there was like a true summit. Um, yeah. Hmm. 
Gotcha. And then once you got out of here, once you you never sold it, you still have it, the speech pathology place in Boulder. Yeah. Is it in Boulder? It's not. So our main clinic is in Wheat Ridge now, and it's okay. uh, actually a multidisciplinary concussion clinic. So we have like physician team, neurooptometry, um, physical therapists, all the people that you need from a Western medicine standpoint to treat concussive injury. Gotcha. Yeah. What did you get into after that? Uh, so real estate. So John Sissenwine has been gracious enough to uh, be helping me kind of learn the ropes. Um, and so it feels fun to be doing something new and, you know, using my past experiences in finance to help people, I think, in a way that um, not everybody does. So, yeah. And why real estate? Um, just from some personal experience, I... Uh, wanted to kind of do better and help people and um it just felt like a a fun new thing Mm -hmm. there's a there's a common theme you keep coming back to which is helping people yeah what what's the like where does the drive come from inside of you to help people i don't know i've always been that way i've always Hmm. been like very empathetic and like wanting to like take away other people's pain and help and make a difference um and prevent people from you know, kind of the experiences and suffering that, you know, I have gone through. Um, so it's always just kind of been a piece of who I am. Pain and suffering how? Um, <laughs> I think I use those words because of my real estate experience. Um, but just, you know, lessons from life, right? Like even in starting the business, I love to talk to other people who are starting businesses to be like, hey, don't do these four things where, that was a really bad idea and this is why I failed. So like learn from my mistakes, you know? Um, so I think that's the kind of pain and suffering. Were your parents like big helpers of people too? No. So my dad was in finance. Um, and I think my mom, so my mom was a stay at home mom. Um, and she was definitely very like nurturing and empathetic, um, you know, and being Italian and all that stuff. I think I get that from her and my family. Um, not saying that my dad wasn't caring, um, but none of them were like doctors or anything like that. So, do you have siblings? I do. I have two brothers. Older, younger? Both. Oh, one. So you're the middle child. Yeah. <laughs> good detective work. Good de- <laughs> hey, no, that was good math. Yeah. Or whatever. That's just problem solving. Yeah. Exactly. Are you close with them? Uh, my little brother, yes. Gotcha. Do you plan on being in real estate for a long time? I hope so. Yeah. So it's something you really like to do? Like passionate about it? Yeah. 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 And learning, I mean, I love learning new stuff. It's just, I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And so being able to kind of be really sucky at something and like see progression and like be able to improve my skill set and knowledge, like that's exciting to me. That's a pretty special way to be just in general. Yeah. Like kind of going back to something we were talking about earlier, like it's like the the risk thing. Yeah. It's hard. It's also hard to go into something you know nothing about and suck at it and like want to learn more about it and ask questions and at first be the dumbest person there. Yeah. I love that. You come out of the other side. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I love like being surrounded by people that, you know, know more about something than I do or, you know, are more intelligent than I am. And yeah, it's great. That doesn't bother you at all. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I think I would choose that any day over, you know, being in a room where I wasn't learning anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I understand real estate very much. I feel like you just like help somebody buy a house and that's all you do. 
Yeah, I mean, or the, sell some sell a house for somebody. Yeah, I think there's a lot. I mean, I think it can be a really, really daunting process for people that haven't been through it. There are lots mm. of dates and deadlines and things to weed out and things to consider. Um, so one of the things that I'm trying to help people do is analyze properties as kind of investments. Mm. You like know, what's the value going to be in 20 years? Yeah, we're just like, is this a smart, you know, financial purchase to turn into a rental property? And what, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, what will happen in three to five years? Is this a good choice? Um, so I like adding value by doing that. And that's where like your financial background comes yeah, into place. Exactly. Yeah. But I think there are lots of things that agents can do, you know, like talking about market trends and just having like kind of an insider knowledge. Um and for people that are moving like into town from out of town, helping with like neighborhoods and stuff like that. Um, but it's a really, I think it can be a really, really daunting process too. If you don't know, you know, if you've never been through it before, especially, mm-hmm. um, cause it's such a massive financial commitment. How's the market right now? <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I think that things are definitely picking up, but we mm. have really low inventory. And a lot of that is because, um, you know, people that have locked in really lower um, interest rates for mortgages aren't wanting to sell because it's a financial asset at this time, right? Mm-hmm. Who's going to trade in a 3% mortgage for a 6% if they don't have to? Um, and so we have a lot of demand for buyers, but not a lot of inventory in the market. And so depending on what it is, um, I think there can be quite a bit of demand. Are interest rates going to go higher from here? Well, Connor, <laughs> if I had a crystal ball, I would win. Um, I, you know, I think that's hard to know for sure. I think that we're not kind of through the inflation peak. Um, and I think interest rates try to technically or, you know, for the most part, trend with inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they will come down in a couple of years, maybe. Um, but I don't know what that timeline looks like. Hmm. Yeah, wish Who I knows? could tell you. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So you say, nobody. like, what? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I think somebody knows. Probably. Not me, though. <laughs> not I. I'm not that smart. Not I. Um, <laughs> so you say you like to learn and keep learning and learn new things. Is yeah. there anything you're learning right now? All of the real estate stuff. Hmm. Yeah. It's super interesting and fun. Um, and outside of that, not really. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So you've done a lot of Boring. stuff. Yeah, yeah, boring. A thing or two. So boring. Okay. Um, what, when you look back, what do you look at as your biggest accomplishment? Living my values. Okay. What are those yeah. values? Um, so I think when I say that, I mean just kind of being true to who I am and not letting the outside world influence my choices and behaviors and decisions. Um, I think I, I love taking risks, and I think I've done that. Um, I think that I enjoy being a leader, um, and I've definitely put myself in those kinds of positions. Um, and like, just being a good human, right? Mm-hmm. That's like something that I really, really value. And I look at that um, and evaluate myself in that department in terms of, you know, my employees and how they're treated, um, and then also to you know, my friends, right? Like, what would they say about me? Would they say that I'm generous and helpful and caring? And I think they would. Um, but from my employee's perspective, I think that's a little more concrete. So in healthcare, it's kind of a crazy world. Um, insurance companies dictate reimbursement rates, which then causes 
hospitals to have productivity quotas for people that are just unreachable, unsustainable, and don't allow for quality care, and also don't really account for providers being human beings. Um, And I think one thing that I've stayed true to is um, not seeing my employees as dollars and cents, but as people and doing my best within the confines of the healthcare system to give them a job where they feel respected and appreciated and cared for um, and have some sort of a work-life balance. So our clinic isn't open on Fridays, right? Like we could make more money by being open on Fridays, but we're not because that's not the culture um, or environment that I, I want to have mm-hmm. or be in. So. And when did you like set these values or come to the realization like this is who I want to be as a person? And after you did that, have they changed it all over time? Yeah. I've always been a people pleaser, so not always the best thing. I think that has definitely, though, morphed into, um, like, doing good by people, and that's changed. But I think, you know, it took me a little while to discover kind of the risk-taking, but I've always known I'm not, you know, like, get married, buy the house, have kids. Like, I knew that was never my life plan. Um, And so I've always, like... I think that goes to the risk thing of, you know, just being true to myself and like taking challenges and quitting, you know, jobs where I was stable with no plan whatsoever Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of going for it. And it's all worked out pretty well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I have a pretty good life. Can't complain. Yeah. There's something cool about like taking the risks when you probably shouldn't, maybe not probably shouldn't just to other people doesn't seem like a good idea. Oh, yeah. But then it all works out. Totally. And it's like, I feel like it's like almost like not payback, but you kind of like payback for yeah. like, hey, you still you stayed true to yourself. You took a risk. You did something totally. you really wanted to do. Yeah. And now the universe, the world, whatever is rewarding you for that. Yeah. I and I that's think that's really cool. And I think when you care about something and have like a goal or, you know, do taste take that risk. Like if you're committed to it, like you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. You will find a way. You know how many people have truly failed because they've taken large risks and I'm sure there are a lot right but those are also learning experiences to then mm-hmm. go do it better the next time and so I think it's also about perspective mm-hmm. it's funny too when you look at people where it did work out and you followed the trail back to the beginning oh yeah you realize there were a lot of failures generally along the way totally I mean I had three careers before I was 30 <laughs> yeah right? I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. that would arguably be a failure to most people <laughs> mm-hmm. but you instead of looking at them as failures you look at them as like building blocks or experiences totally. that maybe it wasn't what you wanted to do or what like maybe it was a failure whatever you did but either you had some experience or some connection or something some door opened yeah. to the next thing which led you to the next thing which totally. finally got you to where you are yeah. which could lead you to the next thing when the next door opens yeah exactly it's all about seeing the door and then having the courage to knock on the door right the door to the universe or kick that thing down that's exactly. how easy to do yeah Usually get thrown in jail for that, though. <laughs> Has this happened to you? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like the door at the end of the universe, you know? Yeah. Are you going to knock or are you going to kick it down? I'm going to guess that you're going to kick it down. I don't know because there's, no, there's probably no gravity out there, so I move really slow, right? Yeah. Isn't that yeah. how it happens? Yeah. Oh, sure. Like when you want to see people bounce on the moon. Yeah. Like those movies that Hollywood made about us on the moon, mm. remember? Yeah. Are those real? <laughs> <laughs> I always like to joke that we haven't been to the moon (laughs) just to see what people say. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's funny. I like to get a rise out of people if you haven't noticed. Yeah. Never. (laughs) But 
All right, Sarah. Yeah. What else you got? Anything? No. Oh. I don't think I do. I think we covered my life. Good. That was good. <laughs> um, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for taking Thanks, the time. Thanks, Connor. And yeah. I'll see you later. Sounds good.